Hi guys, so in this episode of my podcast, I'm going to be talking about intersectional poets and the question that I'm going to be focusing on answering. Um, the central theme of this episode is, do poets who have an intersectional identity create more conversations about racism and violence than white heterosexual cisgender poets? And what questions do poets with intersectional identities ask or what statements is their poetry making through poems and so the three poets I'm going to be mostly focusing on is Audre Lorde, June Jordan, and Phyllis Wheatley but um, before I get into talking about them um, when I was looking at topics for this episode um, Audre Lorde for example I was looking at her I was thinking about her and the black arts movement and mostly why the black arts movement needed to happen. And so I wanted to first talk about um, the black arts movement and I wanted to look at Larry Neal because he said something that I think is really interesting about the black arts movement. And he said that black people need to define a main tenet of black power is the, dis- is the necessity for black people to define the world in their own terms. The black artist has made the same point in the context of aesthetics. So, you know, I was thinking of why did the black arts movement need to happen? What was like the context that created that movement? And it was just that for so long, black people had been excluded from other artistic movements and so this was just something that they had to create for themselves that they could be a part of and of course that's a reoccurring trend um we see all the time that there are spaces that black people are not allowed in so they need to go and create their own space and so all of the poets that i'm going to talk about today audrey lord phyllis wheatley and june jordan all of their poems speak directly to black people and people with intersectional identities, which are usually people who are not allowed to like be in main groups of society. You know, there are people who are pushed to the side. And so in all of their work, you know, they're talking with a specific group of people who for a while have felt marginalized and their poems speak to that part of that person's identity. So to answer part of my question, um, before I even get to talk about their poetry, I think that the statements that their poetry makes is that people are welcomed into their space. Like for Audre Lorde, for example, she brings in marginalized groups of people like queer people, black people, who have for a long time not been allowed to be in other groups. She brings them into her poetry and creates a safe space for them. And so I wanted to move on and draw parallels between the Black arts movement in the 60s and the 70s and what I think the Black arts movement looks like now, even though it may not be called the Black arts movement. I think that the Black arts movement in the 60s was really focused on carving out a space for Black people where there hadn't been a space before, which is why, you know, there was so much stuff going on with poetry, art, painting, music. It was just a place where black people could just exist and be themselves. And today I feel like the black arts movement has, it still has that, 
but I think that today it's become more inclusive and that it's creating space for like queer black people, whereas maybe in the 60s and 70s, there wasn't that much space for them. And that the Black Lives, the Black Arts Movement in the 60s and 70s was also meant to be a new cultural institution and convey a message of black pride. And I think that that has really stuck around even today. I think that today, as a result of the Black Arts Movement and, you know, the art and stuff that came out of that, more black people today are able to be more creative in spaces and able to, you know, showcase their talents in spaces where perhaps they wouldn't have been able to before. And so I think that that is one of the lasting benefits that we see from the Black Arts movements in the 70s. And I was also thinking about, you know, what were struggles that the Black Arts movement faced or Black people in general faced in the 60s and 70s that may still be issues that the Black community faces today. And one of them was police brutality. And that that is still a lasting issue. And so um, I wanted to bring in a poem that I found from the first week of this class. It's by Amanda Johnson. And um, I wanted to focus on a specific line from this poem um, where she says, my black face fades hiding inside black smoke. I knew they'd use it. Damn it, tear gas. I'm grown, I'm fresh. Their clouded assumption eyes me like a runaway, guilty as night, chasing morning. And so I think this this poem that I just read by Amanda Johnson is like so many other poems that were written in the 60s and 70s about Black people just being constantly terrorized by the police. And that is something that we still see today. It's it's the scary reality of being black in America and that that still hasn't gone away. So I think to tie in this poem with what I was talking about before, I think it's important that intersectional poets, they can bring in discussions like this and other parts of their identity and create a space where everyone can find a piece of them in their arts and in their movement. Um, and so I think that is one of the lasting benefits of the Black Arts Movement and having intersectional poets in the Black Arts Movement is that they allow people to come in. And something else that I found interesting was um, something that Amiri Baraka said, um, and he is one of the founders of the Black Arts Movement. In one of his poems, he said, Poems are bullshit unless they are teeth. And I think that every poet that I did that I'm gonna discuss today, Audre Lord, Phyllis Wheatley, and June Jordan, all of their poems have teeth. Like all of their poems have substance and talk about real issues and can relate to people in a very real way because they don't write their poems from like an observer's standpoint. They write their poems as someone going through that thing right then and there. And so I think that that helps, you know, people be able to really relate to them because they have such a unique experience of having gone through that thing that maybe someone else who's just writing it, you know, as someone observing something, you know, they're writing it, it doesn't have the same weight as the people who are actually going through that thing. 
And so first I want to start by talking about June Jordan. So the first poem that I want to look at by June Jordan is on the difficult miracle of black poetry in America. And I don't want to go too in-depth in this poem because I do talk about um, Phyllis Wheatley later. But I do want to focus on parts of this poem that I think are very interesting and how June Jordan talks about Phyllis Wheatley. And I wanted to look at the first line where June Jordan says, It was not natural, and she was the first. And um, in this poem, she just goes over how Phyllis Wheatley was her being in America was not natural she was stolen from her country in Africa and brought to America to be an enslaved person but despite that she became the first published um, I believe black female poet and so June Jordan really focuses on the fact that despite the disadvantaged position that Phyllis Wheatley was put in, she was able to be the first black person to be published in America. And I think that speaks to the rest of Jordan's work where she talks about how um, she didn't really feel like black people fell into a specific poetry genre um, and that she just... June Jordan just kept writing, um, hoping to kind of find her niche. And I feel like in this poem that she wrote about June Jordan or about Phyllis Wheatley, Phyllis also didn't have her own niche, but that was just because she was the first. She was the one who created a space for black people. And so I think in her poem, For the Sake of People's Poetry by Jordan, she draws on Wheatley's being able to be a pioneer for black people to have a voice and to be able to be poets because I mean if she could be a poet then she would be able to create a space for other black people to also be poets. Another line that stuck out to me in on the difficult miracle of black poetry in America was the line she was making herself at home. I think that is so interesting because that's such a contrast to the position that she was in. She was an enslaved person. She was a woman. Both at that time were, quite frankly, terrible positions to be in. But, you know, just to say that she made herself at home, that she took resources and was able to be... You know, a pioneer, I th- I just think that's really interesting, and I don't want to talk too much about that point, but I think that that is so important, and that's the main takeaway from this work. It's that Wheatley was the pioneer, and other Black people, because of her, were able to come in and do their craft. And so I think that, and I'll talk about this later when I talk more about Wheatley herself, But I just think that that's important in the project that I'm doing, that intersectional poets create space and that their work, based on who they are and the lives that they live and the positions that they're put in, that what they talk about has that much more weight because of the trials that they've had to overcome. 
Um, now I want to look at um, June Jordan's work for the sake of people's poetry. And I think that the way she talks about Walt Whitman in this piece is very interesting. Um, I think that most of the time, whenever we talk about Walt Whitman, um, we, you know, we talk about him as a revolutionary, which he was, and that he included members of society who usually were cast off and marginalized and weren't talked about. Um, but I think that it's so important to remember that above all else, Walt Whitman was a white man. And so no matter like how much how much he talks about black people in his work, Native Americans, he talks about his queer identity, he's still white. And I think, I mean, it's important that he talks about them in his work, but at the same time, it's much easier for people to accept his work because he is white than if maybe it was a black or Native American poet talking about that. And so that's something important that I like that Jordan brings out in her work. And, you know, I think that Walt Whitman talks about or talked about black poets, Native American poets, but didn't really open a space for them to talk. Like he wrote about them, but he didn't also invite them into a space to talk about their experiences. And Jordan reflects on that. And she talks about the lack of black poets when she says, and where were the black poets altogether? And who were the women poets I might reasonably emulate? And wasn't there ever a great poet who was crazy about Brooklyn or fierce about war? And I keep waiting and I kept writing my own poetry. And so Jordan is talking about the noticeable lack of representation of people who look like her in poetry. Their poetry is diverse, but it's not diverse enough for her to feel like she has a place where she fits in with other people. So she had to talk about and write her poetry in her own space and make an, her own space for her. But, um, you know, it's important for her to be able to find other poets who talk about things that she's interested in and to create space to talk about things like racism, other black poets, and a place for her to really share her intersectional identity because there is a real lack of community for people to talk about that, which I enjoy that um, Jordan brings up in her work. You know, Walt Whitman started that, but his idea, I guess, of intersectionality is very different than what Jordan's intersectionality would be. Like, it's on two very different scales, which I appreciate that she brings up. So now I finally want to talk about Phyllis Wheatley. And I think that out of all the intersectional poets that I look at in this project, I think that she is the most complex just because she was an enslaved person, she was a woman, and she was the first Black woman to be published in the United States. So I think that just because of all of those things, she has the most complex identity. And in this um, project, I looked at her poem um, on being brought from Africa to America because I think that what she wrote this poem on is very interesting. Um, and in this poem, she's talking about white Christians, white Christianity, and that long-held belief that God, Jesus, 
most of the things associated with Christianity are white, like the belief that Jesus is white, God is white. She completely rejects that, and she rejects the um, beliefs that black people were taught that black people are less than white people in the eyes of God, and that white in Christianity is equal to good, and that black is equal to bad. She completely rejects that in her poem, and I think that's very interesting because I think that in the other two poems, poets that I look at, with Jordan and with Lord, they talk about their intersectional identities and what being black is like in sort of a secular light. And I think it's interesting that Wheatley talks about her experience in a religious context. Um, I think one of the interesting lines from the poem is some view our sable race with a scornful eye their color is a diabolical dye remember christians negroes black as cain may be refined and join the angelic chain first like without getting into the um context of this i think that the poetic devices that she uses are wonderful they like make the poem really impactful um their color is a diabolical dye or a diabolic dye. I think that's incredible. Um, but moving on to what she's really trying to convey in this poem is that once again, black people are equal to white people in anything. Like even if in the time period that she was living if living in, she wasn't seen as equal. She knew that she was equal at least in the eyes of God. And just the fact that in that poem, Wheatley was talking about, I think, sort of a taboo subject um, during that era. Things were just the way they were, like the hierarchy was very well defined and not a lot of people could stray from that hierarchy and talk about it as anything else. But I think that Wheatley, in a very specific way, you know, questioned and flat out disagreed with something that had been taught to her all the time. And so in this very unique way that we didn't we don't see with the other two poets, she defied racism in like a unique sector of the American life because religion was a big part of American life, but it's also so specific that I think that by questioning it and disagreeing with that long-held belief, Wheatley was, I think, setting an example for future poets to disagree with racist establishments, for example, religion and white Christianity in America. And so I think that her legacy of being an intersectional poet is that she wrote about, quote-unquote, untraditional subjects like religion for example and that allowed future poets to also come in and talk about things that aren't talked about as much as other subjects and finally to talk about the poet who i think is the most outspoken about the different facets of her personality is or her identity is audrey lord um I just wanted to start off with a quote by Audrey herself, where she described herself as a 49-year-old Black lesbian feminist socialist mother of two. So clearly, in just that little part, 
that quote that I just said has so much to do with who she is. She's a mom, she's black, she's a lesbian, she's a socialist. So there are so many different perspectives that she can write from. And she definitely talks about all of her perspectives and the things she's lived through and how she talks about them. So I think that out of all of these poets, she is the most outspoken about the different places or the different, like, um, what's the word? The different variations of who she is because of her multiple um, parts of her identity. And in each of um, Lord's works, I think shows a different part of her identity. For example, in her poem, Equinox, um, where she talks about the fear that she has that violence and racism that's going on around the world will reach her child. She wrote this poem um, in the time, in the period where Malcolm X had been killed. Um, there were riots, just a time of her feeling very unsafe um, about where she was going to raise her children if her children were going to be okay. And um, the line, Black is beautiful, but currently going out of style. I think that obviously I can't talk about this I'm not a parent but I do feel like for a lot of parents having black children it's scary because of things like police brutality if your child is not within your reach you're sort of taking a gamble because you don't know if they're going to come back home the way that they left home so I think that her poem Equinox speaks to that fear of black children being in the world where their existence is threatened there are so many things that are trying to take them out and that poem specifically talks about her fear of having black children and a fear that a lot of people can resonate with that's you know the great thing about lord her poetry is so specific to her but it's also so universal because there are so many other people who experience the same fears and emotions that she does. Um, And there are definitely people who can relate to Equinox because, like I said, it's, it's a scary reality for parents, for their Black children. They can go out and you could never see them again. Another way that Lord is able to um, bring out her intersectional identity is in her poem, Naturally. And I want to focus on the first four lines of Naturally that read, since naturally black is naturally beautiful, I must be naturally proud and naturally black and beautiful. And I just wanted to focus on that part of the poem and just talk about it briefly, because in this poem, Lord is accepting that her blackness is beautiful. And that's honestly revolutionary, because as we've seen in history, the narrative that black people are ugly, that black people are less than, is constantly pushed in every single facet of life, whether it's on the TV, social media, magazines, whatever. It's always pushed. And so I think that Lord writing that her being naturally black is naturally beautiful is great. And I also think that in this poem, she's also saying that just by her being black is revolutionary. And that just by being black, that she's beautiful. Um, Just her living in a time where black people were not seen as beautiful and her writing this is revolutionary. So I wanted to include that, that 
as you can see in her poem Naturally and in Equinox, she talks about her intersectional identities, parts of herself that aren't always welcomed in society as a whole. And she brings them up in her work and allows for other people to come in and to be welcomed into her work and what she's talking about. And finally, in A Litany for Survival, Lord talks about the effects of being an outsider, which is essentially anyone who is not white and is not the norm in a white capitalist society. And we know that Lord is talking to um, people who are marginalized in society because she says, for all of us, this instant and this triumph, we were never meant to survive. And throughout the poem, Lord repeats the line, for those of us. And so throughout the poem, she's constantly bringing your attention to the fact that the people she's talking about in this poem are survivors, are inherently survivors from the second they were there. They were not meant to survive. They were not meant to get to this point. They were supposed to be exterminated. But the fact that they survived is amazing. And it's something that needs to be celebrated. And so in this poem, I think, is where Lord talks directly to marginalized people and to people with intersectional identities in sort of in the way that Jordan does it, where she talks about um, the lack of black poets that she sees. But in this poem, Lord is talking about how their survival is inherently amazing. Um, the people that she talks about, their survival is revolutionary. And so she doesn't explicitly say it in this work, but we know that based on this poem and in her other poems that the group she's talking about is black people, gay people, and other persecuted people who literally from the second they were put on earth were not meant to survive, but have survived. And I think that with all of these poems and all the poets, though they may not say it as explicitly as Lord does, but they acknowledge that the survival of anyone who is like them, the survival of anyone who is queer, black, enslaved is amazing. And so I think that's a theme that we find in all of these poets' works. And so that brings me to my final closing point, I guess, which is how these poems and their messages tie into today, living in 2021. And I think just the most basic message that we can all take away from this is that there is, as isolating perhaps as it may feel sometimes, there is always a place for us to feel welcomed in. And especially, you know, with people who share the same identities with you, people who have intersectional identities, they are able to welcome you in a way that maybe, as I stated at the beginning, a white cisgender poet may not be able to. They have life experiences that can resonate with you and that you feel drawn to. And so I think that today, specifically Black people, you know, um, like I'm thinking about Black Lives Matter, um, the fact that still to this day, being Black and surviving is revolutionary because the way that America specifically is set up, 
it they don't want to see black people survive and even thrive so i think that all of the messages that these poems convey of being able to survive being able to find people whose life resonates with you whose messages resonate with you is important and it's a theme that we can see in all of the poems that we that i have looked at today so i think that's how um the messages, no matter how long ago the poems were written, tie into life today and we can take examples from them.